He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you as always. Hope everyone enjoyed our debut yesterday morning on the Sports Animal. That was a lot of fun. Had uh, pieces of a Taylor Gooch interview that will be aired in its entirety on today's show. After the break today, Taylor Gooch, uh, nearly an hour with Gooch that he sat down with us uh, last week. We talked Masters. We talked some match play. We talked Saudi stuff. We talked Oklahoma. We talked being a dad. Just all of it. Just make sure you stick around for that and uh, hope everybody enjoyed us yesterday on The Animal. Absolutely. T-Dub, I wanted to ask you because we never got a chance to talk about it with Gooch, really what your thoughts are on what he said about the Saudi League and Legacy and Nick Faldo and Rory McIlroy and stuff like that. I thought that was the interest, most interesting part of the interview. Yeah, I think that, you know, most of the time when people have, you know, very few people are honestly say the things that Gooch said, in my opinion, but it's really telling that it came from, what is he, 33rd in the world or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 33rd, exactly. So 32nd when we did the interview. Absolutely. So I, I think that it's very telling to think that, because there's a lot of people that are in the same situation as Gooch, right? You know, he's on his fifth year on tour, you know, obviously had a long road to get there. And, you know, he makes a good point about how golf is now just a, a means to an end. You know, people play for millions of dollars. It's the nature of the beast. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, for Gooch, just being able to, you know, have those options, you know, because he compared it to JT Ramuto, his friend who just signed a big contract with, uh, I forget whatever team it was in baseball. Uh, and, Phillies, I believe. Yeah, Phillies. I have nothing wrong. I, are you a Phillies fan because you're an Eagles fan? No, I'm a Kansas City fan. Ah, yes. But, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, I, I, just, weird. I just think that whenever you talk about, like, the upper echelon, like the Roms and Scheffler now, honestly, I think that those are guys that you don't really look towards. But you look at the, the guys from, like, 20 to 100 in the world – I think a lot of them are going to be more interested than this than we wanted to lead on, guys. Well, you guys have a lot to look forward to. If you heard the radio show, he's going to get into Hovland, which we didn't get into on the radio show. He's going to talk about the young guys on tour, which we're going to get into, talking about Scotty Scheffler. Um, And he also gets into some personal stuff, talking about his dogs and things you do not want to miss coming up after the break. Colby. Scotty Scheffler, number, number one, one in the world. Number one in the world, and he does it in uh, Austin, Texas, a place obviously very special to him. The former Texas Longhorn gets it done in really kind of dominating fashion throughout the week. He ends up beating Kisner 4-3 and three in the final match, but nobody really wanted a piece of Scheffler. 3-1 and one over DJ in the semis, 3-2 and two, uh, over Power uh, earlier in the week in the quarters. He just, I mean, the dude almost never saw holes 17 and 18 throughout the week. He was great last year here, finished runner-up, and then he comes back and wins it this year. Three wins in six weeks for Scotty Scheffler. He was 14th in the world, guys, after the Farmers Insurance Open. Taylor, three wins in six weeks. He's the number one player in the world. You know, guys, You know, even at the time we talked about how the, the tee times of the Players' Championship has such a big impact, and it's like I would have loved to see what would have happened if he was on the other side of the draw. He yeah. finished 55th. And that's – I'm just going to read off these recent finishes here. First, 55th, the players like we just mentioned. First, 7th, 1st, 20th, 25th, 2nd, 57th, 2nd, 4th. It's one of the best runs I've seen in a long time. This is very similar to, uh, like, Jason Day 2015. Yeah, and it, was, and it was underrated because he didn't have the trophy until Phoenix. 
And it just, you know, you always make the analogy of, oh, once you get that first one, the floodgates are going to open. Well, this is the definition of that happening because, you know, we made this point too yesterday. You know, it's not like he went out and won the uh, the Mayakoba Classic or he won the, uh, you know, Valero Texas Open. He's won uh, the WM Phoenix Open, one of the biggest tournaments of the year. He won the Arnold Palmer, obviously, it's an invitational, and then won the match play, the only WGC event of the year. So, I mean, the only thing that Scheffler's lacking now is a major and – you know, guys, we try to prognosticate at the start of the year who would be the major champions. Are any of y'all wanting to change any of your major picks to add Scheffler on there with how well he's playing? I was going to bring this up. Now, would any of you guys actually consider Scotty Scheffler the best player in the world right now? Right now, yes. Right now? You really would? I, I can't think, because this is a good, good example, match play, right? Because that's where you go head-to-head against someone. It's like, besides maybe Cam Smith, I can't think of a player right now. I mean, I, here, let's just go to the top in the world right now. Just So, obviously, Rom, who he just well, I got. Yeah, I mean, it's Scheffler, Rom, Morikawa, Hovland, Cantlay, Smith. Those right. are your top six. So, I got some stats here for you. Go ahead. John Rom, okay? Driving distance, John Rom ranks seventh. Driving accuracy, 54th. Greens and regulation, first. Eagles, 59th. Birdie average, 13th. Scoring average, 29th. FedEx Cup, regular season points, he's 16th right now. Now, here's Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler, driving distance 21st, driving accuracy 134th, greens and regulation 15th, Eagles 81st, birdies 5th, scoring average 6th, and he's first, obviously, in the FedEx Cup and the World Official Golf You know what I didn't hear there, So, uh, Scotty Scheffler, 15th in putting. John Rom is 138th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, John Rom's that, that, right? putting. 139th. I'm John Rom's putting has killed him so far this year. That's what I'm saying. I, I agree that he's played better so far at the start of this year. But would I still consider Scotty Scheffler as a favorite at any four of the majors coming up? I wouldn't. I'm not going to pick him at any four of the majors coming up. Well, it's, you know. And he's the number one player in the world. I'm just saying it's a weird time in the game of golf right now where the number one player in the world, I wouldn't necessarily say, is the overwhelming favorite at either Augusta or, you know, Southern Hills coming up. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's an overwhelming favorite because we haven't really had a dominant force in golf, I don't think, since probably DJ in 2020. Uh, I mean, that's why Kepka. a guy that's why a guy can jump from fifth to first, right? I mean, Scotty Scheffler was fifth going into the match play. You don't often jump from fifth to first right. with a win, but guys are very closely bunched at the top of the world rankings right now. So, I mean... Scotty Scheffler could theoretically hold on to the world right, number one for two weeks. He could right. lose it in two weeks. But I, I still think three wins in six weeks. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I never really had John Rahm. Even, e- even six weeks ago, I wouldn't have had John Rahm as the number one player in the world because he doesn't win enough for me. Right. And Scotty Scheffler winning three times in six weeks, that, Look, that proves something to that's me about great. it. It proves a lot to me as well. I'm just saying it's a weird time where, to me, I'm still not putting money on John Rom. I'm not putting money on Scotty Scheffler over John Rom coming down the stretch of a major. See, I'm not putting money on John Rom over Scotty Scheffler in a major. In a major, okay. In a right, major. We'll, we'll disagree right. on that, but uh, it's, what, just what do you inter- think, it's just interesting. All right, so, so, Scotty, so Scotty Scheffler, John Rom in a major. Who do you trust more? All right, so here I'll just read off <clears throat> some results here from recent major championships. So Scotty's played in nine majors. And I'm going to read off his last six here because he missed uh, two of the first three cuts. Finished 27th. Other than that. 8th, 7th, 8th, 18th, 19th, 4th. That's pretty darn good. Just for comparison's sake, Victor Hovland, who we all think has great chance in majors, mm-hmm. 21st, uh, 30th, 21st, 13th, 33rd, 12th, 32nd. 
So, I mean, yeah. to me, Scheffler's a lot better in majors so far. You know, Hovland doesn't have a top 10 yet, and Scheffler has, what, three or four of them? So, yeah, he has four of them. So, I, I think that I would pick Scheffler over Rom because when you get on the back nine, you got to make putts, whether it be the, the 15-footer for birdie to catch up or the, make the 8-footer for par to keep your momentum. You have to do that. And right now, I don't know if Rom can do that. I mean, he's hitting a lot of greens, going to put himself in position. But when you talk about major championships, too, it, it has a lot to do with the course, right? So, I mean, Rom has really good success, has played really well at Augusta, so I uh-huh. probably would pick Rom at Augusta. But and then when you get the Open Championship, you never know with the weather. When you get to the other two majors, the PGA and um, at Southern, and then the U.S. Open, I'd probably right now I'd probably pick Scheffler though. So it's almost like two and two. It really depends on the course. One thing that Gooch was talking about was the young guys on tour. How the rookies are a lot younger on the PGA Tour now than they've ever been. Okay, Scotty Scheffler's twenty five years old. He feels like a veteran. I mean, he's number one in the world, right? Twenty five years old. Okay. Taylor Gooch, a guy that, you know, we talk about a lot, he, we, he still seems like a young guy to us. He's a lot older than Scotty Scheffler. It's just interesting how it instantly changed. How old is Taylor Gooch? 30? 30. Yeah, year 30, older 30, than, yeah. yeah. Turned 30 in November, so he's yeah. still a relatively young 30. But, I mean, 30 certainly not old in the game of golf. You've got, Correct, I mean, VJ at one point was the number one player in the world at 42 years old. But do you see what I'm saying about the young guys on tour? It's it's crazy. Yeah. He's number one in the world. Yeah, and, and it happens so fast is the thing. Because until six weeks ago, Scotty Scheffler, I mean, everybody looked at him and was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's so good. Why can't he hoist trophies? And you said it, Taylor. It's so cliche to say the floodgates are going to open when a guy wins. And a lot of times a guy wins, and then, you know, six months later he'll win again, something like that. Like when Finau won it at Liberty this past fall. It's like, oh, the floodgates are going to open. No, well, they no, didn't. No, they didn't. He went into a massive slump that he still hasn't broken out of. Scheffler, on the other hand, I mean, he won one, and it's like he's a shark and chum. He's got a taste for it now. Guys, can you tell me, Scotty Scheffler is the sixth youngest player reach world number one. Can y'all tell me the top five? I'm Tiger? Gonna, I, I, have a, I have a list here, but I hadn't looked at it, so I'm going to close my screen. Uh, Tiger, number one. Rory. Youngest. Uh, Tiger was 21 in five months. Spieth was younger than Rory, I think. Spieth, oh, oh, we're going in correct. order. Okay, yeah. Spieth, so. correct, 22 and zero months. And then Rory. And then Rory, 22 and 10 months. Who would have been after Rory? JT, 25 and zero months. Rom. And Rom. 25 and 8 months. Dude, we're, good. we're good at this. That was damn good. Right in order. I mean, those are the best players in the world. So. I know, but still. The, the one that I couldn't pull was JT. JT was a good pull. I forgot he got to number one so young. But I, I knew I knew Rom had gotten there before this latest stint. Rom had been number one in the world, by the way. It was a pretty good stretch for John Rom. He, he got to number one after a T3 at last year's Open. And he's been number one since. So that's a good little run oh, for John Rahm, eight months or so. We, we, oh, there's no doubt about that. So we, we've talked about this before, and I want to see if you guys remember. What, how many players are, have now been world number one ranked? Oh, my gosh. 25. Total? Yes. Uh, 1986 is when it started? It was 25, yes. right? I would think it'd be more than that even. Well, no, because Tiger held it for 683 weeks, I think, is the number. Um. So yeah, that's probably somewhere in that neighborhood. Twenty five, thirty. Exactly twenty five. Is it? Nice. I, heard, I, I knew. So that. did you already know yeah. the number? Okay. <laughs> you seemed confident, well, yeah. which is why I didn't want to throw something wild out. Here, here's something, guys. I, I didn't look at this. I was actually watching the. Um, I think it was the 2019 Masters highlights. Did y'all know that Justin Rose was number one in the world in that event? Uh, for which? I feel like I did. For which event? 2019 Masters. I, Justin Rose was number one in the world in that event. In I think time. I. I think I actually did know yeah. that because he had just won the FedEx Cup. Isn't that so weird to think Prior about? to that, yeah. He fell off quick. He went to Hanma, started using the goofy putter, and boom, that was that. 
And, yeah. all, and, and all of a sudden now Justin Rose looks old. From number one in the world to old pretty fast. So j- just some guys recently who have been number one. Uh, Scheffler now, Rom, DJ, JT, Rory, Kepka, Rose we just mentioned. Um, and then going up, Jason Day, Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth hasn't been number one in the world since 2016. That's kind of – that feels weird. I feel like that he was playing That's even good. six years? Yeah. Wow, six years. That's wild. So – out of this match play, other than Scotty Scheffler, what was your guy's biggest surprise or, I, I should say, guy that you think is going to take this momentum to the future tournaments considering the Masters coming up? Well, I'll say is that... It, basically, is it DJ or Kepka or someone like that? Obviously, Kisner's not going to have a great chance at Augusta. Is it Zalatoris? What did you guys see um, this week? from the match play, from the top-name guys that could possibly do well at Augusta. Well, I'll say you want to talk about big names. You know, Morikawa, what is he, number third in the world, got beat seven and six by a boy, Abe Answer. That was probably my biggest. Yeah, Boomer Sooner last week at the Valspar, buddy. Appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) Come out out, and hold the grudges. Come out and beat number three in the world, seven and six. You missed the cut by like eight strokes. (laughs) Did did you watch any of that Morikawa Answer match? No, I didn't, know. Oh, dude, Answer was rolling in like 40-footer on top of 40-footer. It was nuts. Answer was, what, six or seven under, and Morikawa was like one or two over or something like that. Ran into a bus saw. Yeah, Abe went nuts that day. But to your point, Sam, I'll probably, going to lean towards the um, towards Dustin Johnson story to get on some sort of run here. Um, yeah. Obviously, he finished fourth of this tournament, 39th at Valspar's the week after the players where he finished ninth. Um, going back, finished T8 in Saudi and then, you know, tw- t- uh, 25th at uh, Torrey Pines. So, you know, we always talk about DJ getting on these runs and see how long it'll take. And talk about some guy that opens the floodgates. You know, he's going to win three or four times, mm-hmm. you know, in a span of four months or three months. So, I- I- I'll be honest with you guys, I was I- – before I had picked Cam – and Spieth at Augusta. And with how the way Spieth's playing, I almost might switch DJ out with Spieth just because. Spieth's playing golf swing, not golf right Dude, now. Dude, it's. He man. is. He's thinking so much he standing really over is. the ball. And, and you can I mean, see the, it. It's, it's translating into the rest of his game, too, because he's thinking about everything else chipping, putting, everything. Yeah. So, my point here was John Rahm, Brooks Kepka, and DJ, all three guys that can win at Augusta National, played solid golf this week. Yeah. I know Rom got beat by Kepka in 19 holes, but still played solid golf, made it out of his group. DJ beat Kepka, and then obviously it's match play and you're playing Scotty Scheffler who's played the course 100 times. You know, it, it's there's some there's some things that went in Scotty Scheffler's favor this week for sure. Yeah, not were. only where I, where, where they were playing. He played great golf. I'm not taking any anything away from him. I, I want to say saying, this about the Scheffler DJ match though. Yeah. It ended up 3 and 1. It was not nearly that close. Scheffler right. was five up through like 12. So no, I get it. I yeah. get it. But I'm still saying DJ is playing solid golf. And, he, and I think he found did, something. Did he jump back that, inside uh, the top 10, by the way? Yes, he did. He moved up to 8th. Yeah. 11th DJ, DJ got it to uh, one down at one point, and then he missed the uh, the short birdie or par putt, whatever it was, on, on 16. And then Scheffler hit it to like three feet or whatever on 17. And yeah. DJ didn't make par. So that's it was like DJ trying to make a little bit of a run, but at the same time it was like there was never really a doubt that Scheffler was going to win. Going back to your point, Sam, about, uh, about Rom having a chance at Augusta, He's played there five times, and he finished 27th his first appearance since then. Fourth, ninth, seventh, fifth. I just don't think that that's the place where you find your putter. He Because but, because I think it's mental with John Rahm, too. But, he got snippy with the media when asked about it last week. He has changed putters at the final round of the Genesis and the Arnold Palmer. He switched putters. He switched back. I think he's really overthinking his putting right now. Yes, you might be right, but Augusta National is tough to putt for everybody. 
right? True. Yeah. And True. so you can ball strike your way to a victory at Augusta National. Yeah. And, and I know that every, the, the, everyone talks about how amazing and hard the greens are and fast. They're faster than any greens in the country, which means you've got to hit the ball closer. So I'm going to pick a better ball striker at Augusta National. Tiger, right? Tiger, I think, in 2019 ranked outside the top 50 in strokes gained putting when he won the Masters. It can, well, be, it can be done. Well, it's, Gooch made a good point whenever we asked him, you know, what's the thing that Augusta you can't really see on TV? And it's the areas where they put the pins is very, very small. So... You need to be a good ball striker in those positions. So, you know, if Rom gives himself, you know, three more opportunities around for birdie, even if you don't make him, it's par. If you don't get on the correct level, you're fighting to make par, probably going to make bogey. So, you know, I think that Rom's ball striking can keep him going a while. But I agree with you, Colby. It's going to be hard pressure for him to win. But if you're looking to make money in one and done, I think he'll finish top ten for sure. All right, and then disappointments this week. I mean, I have... Fitzpatrick not getting the job done against Scheffler in that playoff. I mean, imagine if he beats him in that yeah. playoff, right? And, and he had a couple of chances and to I, do it. That was yeah. my pick, and I think that Fitzpatrick is playing really solid golf right now. Shoffley, what in the world? Shoffley, I mean, that was not not good and, stuff. And, and Shoffley drew what we all thought was the easiest, easiest group, group, and he won day one. And he got smacked around a little bit days two and three yes, by uh, Tony Finau and I believe Takumi Kanaya. Kanaya. Or no, maybe it was Herbert who beat him. I can't remember. Kanaya ended up Kanaya getting out of the group. got yeah. out of the group, yeah. correct. Um, and then, okay, I want to bring this up to you guys real quick. Paul Casey withdraws oh. after five holes, and there's no alternate that can go in? Two holes. Two holes. Yeah. Correct. Te- teed off on the third. And okay, that that's was, what it was. Yeah, teed off on the so, third hole. Got paid, and right? Got paid. So, that, guys, so that, that's your answer right there. No, I get it. But for people that picked him in the one and done, I mean, they were one or two holes and done, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. to me, are you not going to just – why do you just have it where they concede the match, right? Or the match is conceded and, you know – I mean, in match play, once, in you, like, once you start in match play – I mean, once, once he makes one swing... After he withdraws after in. two holes... And, but in stroke play... You can't have some guy come in and play a different match. Even, in, even in stroke play, once you tee off, that spot in the field is taken, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Yeah, any, any time... I mean, once you put a tee in the ground and that ball goes sailing, I mean, you're, you're in the field. So... It sucks for whoever the next he was alternate playing was. Connors, right? Uh, first yeah. day in was Connors. First match? Yeah. Imagine yeah. if Corey Connors went on to win. Is that fair for everyone else in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, I, Casey went out Thursday, tried to hit range balls. Still, what the back still wasn't cooperating. And and the thing is, you know, if he'd come in with like a knee injury or something, but the back is so finicky. Like you can have a good day with the back, you can have a bad day with the back. So, Paul Casey, I don't know. I think I'm willing to give Paul Casey the benefit of the, of the doubt that this he is, was. I'm not trying to play through some back Paul spasms. Casey, I'm talking crap about them not having an alternate. Well, because then once you because. Like, like, let's just say after the first round, you add in another player. Well, it's like, well, Corey Connors got a free win. So, you know, once again, that's not fair. So, what are you going to do? Make him play another match? Well, that's not fair to Corey either. So, I just don't think there's any good way to handle it because, like I said, the the reason that that Paul Casey played two holes and not just one hole is that he wanted to make it look like he was at least trying. But he teed it up to get paid. That's all it was because, like you said, you play one hole and you get paid. So, going back to the nature of the beast, I mean, I just think that's stuff that, unfortunately, you have to deal with. It dilutes from the tournament, for sure. I'll agree with you. I just I don't know what a it's good a good replacement would so, be. So here's another thing I want to get into: a little weird situation out at the match play. Keegan Bradley was seen aim pointing for about two and a half minutes before this putt. 
A five-footer, by the way. Five-footer. Ends up missing it, and it, the video goes viral on Twitter. Do you guys think that not having Stracoline green books is slowing down play? That not having them is slowing down play on the PGA Tour? You know, I'll say this. I think that it's damn sure not helping it. I mean, we haven't seen this rapid increase of plays, so I think that was the main argument that they were trying to use, and it is definitely not working. But going back to the aim point thing, I think that um, – I can't remember who it was on uh, Golf Channel made a good point. It's I think the worst thing about that aim point is that he's stepping all around the hole, yeah, and, and beating it up around there. It's like that's a like that that's like unwritten Here, rule of golf is you don't step within like two feet of the hole. That's the point that I was about to make is if you're gonna outlaw the greens books, you have to outlaw aim pointing as well. You can get behind your putt, you can get down, you can read it. You can't straddle your line. And you're, you're saying walking the line. Yeah, because that's well, aim point is essentially but, walking but, the line and then yeah. kind of using your yeah, fingers. You're supposed to, you're supposed to find the old, most severe slope and I then got use it. that and, for and your fingers. There was an old rule where you had to stand to the side when you're aim pointing of your line. To me, any aim pointing and it's obvious when a guy's doing it should be illegal. If if you're making greens books illegal, then aim pointing should be illegal as well. I just I think the whole thing is this: if you use aim point, you're stepping on a little different areas around the green. So. I just think that this is what I would say. As long as you're not stepping within two feet of the hole and as long as you're not walking other people's lines, I don't really have a problem with it. And I think the simplest solution to all this fast play, I've been saying it for years now, a simple shot clock. It's not that damn hard anymore. I mean, seriously. It, you can, you should be able to do whatever you want within 30 seconds, a minute, however long they want to do it. But it's literally the easiest solution to fix this problem. Almost every sport has one. I, yeah. I don't understand why. it's well, Especially now use, with technology. Even baseball's finally getting one. Use one clock. of those things that they use in soccer to tell you how many minutes you have left at the end of a game. You know, where the right. guy holds up the electric sign. Mm-hmm. Just have a guy holding an electric sign. I'm sure they would find some volunteer or some, you know, official that would love to go follow John Rahm and Brooks Kepka and have... A, a, an official sign, an electric sign that has, you know, a minute and 30 seconds. I mean, I, th- I think that's absolutely simple. And here, here's the point I'll make on it. So, yesterday, what was – is 11 the part three that's downhill with the water on the right? Yes. Uh, uh, yes. So, yes. Yep. so, it was Scheffler and uh, Kisner in the final match. They were on um, they were on that hole. And, and Scheffler – I mean, guys, he took like five minutes to hit this shot. He was waiting for the wind to change. Him and the caddy were, were switching out clubs. And it's like, okay, so if there's a – you know, a minute left in a football game, do you get to take as long as you want to run a play because it's just more closely and it impacts more because it's in the final round? No. So I, I think that I don't like when players slow down a lot towards the end of matches. You should be able to, the first shot should have to take just as long as the last shot. To me, once it's your turn, I, I'll maybe give a little leeway to the first guy that gets to his ball. They should have an extension, yes. Okay, right? But once, say you're the second guy to hit, I feel like once you're at your ball and you're the second guy to hit, you should, once you get to your ball, it should be a minute 30 seconds flat. Well, and it's, you know, the biggest point a lot of people to, make to about... To get your yardage and everything. I'm not saying you can spend a minute 30 over the ball. I, I mean, you can if you want, but you're going to need to get your distance, you know, calculate the wind and the slope and everything, figure all that out. You can easily do that in a minute and 30 seconds and hit your shot. Well, you can, you know, you think about it and, you know, with... When you talk about a minute 30, right? So if you're already preparing, if you've already prepared to hit your shot before the first person's hit, then you should be able to do that easily. You know, I think one of the biggest complaints about slow play is players wait till it's their turn to start their entire routine. And that, to me, that's what slows down golf the most. It's very rarely do you see someone who's already into their routine after someone's hit and they take like 
two minutes over the ball. You know, you're, that, well, you're right. I'm being very generous with the minute thirty. Oh, it's it, it should be probably forty five seconds. And, well, if you're, once you're, you're over the, the ball, it depends on where you're timing it from. And, and and I'll say this: I do think you should have like two or three. You know, where like if you go over, you're not stroked, right? right. Like you shouldn't be stroked the first time it happens because right. gust of wind comes up. You need to be able to walk off of it a couple right. of times. You know, or and, just like you have a challenge in football, say you know I have a time extension in golf. Yeah, extension. Yeah. Now, now yeah. Here, here's the question I want to ask you guys: Do you think that the time clock should be adjusted based on weather conditions. Like, should you have extra time if it's really windy? Like, for example, Players' Championship. Oh, man, that's a good question. Not on conditions. Honestly, maybe, on, maybe on course. Before maybe. before we watched this year's players, I maybe would have said no. Yeah. That's a pretty unique situation. It is. But still, what what difference is it going to make? Maybe maybe allowed more extensions. To, to you spend know? more time. They're, they were hitting it in the water anyways. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you have extensions, then you wouldn't need to do it for weather because guys would just have to be strategic about when they used them. Yeah. Like you, I mean, if you're coming up to the 17th at Sawgrass, you know you might need an extension, so let's not burn it on our approach yeah. shot on 14. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get that I shot don't off. Mind that it's, at all. it's It's not yeah. like I, I feel like you have to make, like, announce, like, oh, extension, you know, or like whatever, uh, you know, pool or whatever it is that you do. But I just think that once you – once you're able to figure out what times need to be used for to make the play the most efficient they can be, it's just going to make everything so much better and so much better for golf because we're, we're trying to do all these things, change the rule or change the greens books, you know, outlaw all these different things. And I just think that it's it's there's a lot simpler way to fix this problem, guys. Yeah, there is. And if you have the problem of dirty golf clubs, you have a simple way to fix that as well. It's the Groove It Brush. They are back in stock. Go to GrooveItBrush.com today. GrooveItBrush.com. Patented technology. Fill it up with water. Little button on the end. Boop, boop. Magnets to your bag. Incredibly strong magnet. This thing is not falling off. Three-year warranty on the bristles on this brush. They stand by their product. Groove It Brush, the wet club scrub. Back in stock. Groove It Brush. Com. Don't forget our promo code, 73rd hole. Get yourself 10% off the Groove It Brush, the absolute best in the business. Did, did you guys see uh, any of the Oscars last night? <laughs> I, I did. I saw about 45 seconds of the Oscars last night. I, I didn't see anything last I saw it this morning. For people that didn't see it, uh, give it a Google. Yeah, give it a Google or, or a Twitter <laughs> search or something. Uh, Chris Rock uh, made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith which is Will Smith's wife. and uh, It was in poor taste. And Will Smith didn't like it and went up there and smacked the crap out of Chris Rock. Open hand slap across the face. So we got pretty, a lot to get pretty into hard. about this. How pretty about, hard. You could hear it on the it mic. It was hard. And then what was even more aggressive was when he sat down and told him to keep his, you know what, wife's name out of his mouth <laughs> and said it twice it got real intense for a minute there at the Oscars. And then Chris Rock kind of backed down and said, all right, man, I will. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, Chris Rock, to get smacked like that on international television and just keep hosting the show. Great. That's pretty impressive. Professionalism by Chris Rock. And that's also, what got me. Was also, just, also okay. he never rubbed his face. And so, that's like the old baseball adage, right? You get hit by baseball. Everybody from the dugout's like, don't rub it. Don't rub it. But you want to rub it because it yeah. hurts. And Will Smith's a pretty big dude. Chris Rock, not so much. I promise that hurt. He didn't rub it. He didn't break stride hosting the show. It was. I was kind of impressed by how Chris Rock handled it. Here's what happened was Chris Rock said the joke. Will Smith laughed at the joke. Will Smith looked at his wife, Jada Pinkett, and she was not laughing. And then he's like, man... Well, now I got to go smack somebody. Yep. And it was one of those deals right there. But here's the question to you guys. If you were going to smack the crap out of someone like Will Smith, Chris Rock, who would it be in the golf world? <laughs> 
Oh, good question. In the golf world? Oh, man. I mean, the layup's Patrick Reed. <laughs> I tweeted yeah. this out, and after, 20 seconds after I tweeted it out, someone said, zinger. All right, I need a, I need a <laughs> clarification on, uh, on what's happening here, though. Can they hit me back, or do they just have to keep hosting the Oscars? They have to keep hosting the Oscars. Oh, well, then Patrick Reed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because if I, they could hit me back, I'd have to go like Abraham Answer or Brian Harmon so that I could be in my own weight class. But. Patrick Reed would definitely take a cheap shot. <laughs> Boy, he would, yeah. He'd go straight for the uh, the testicular area. Yeah. yeah I, what about right. you? Man, <clears throat> you know, I'm thinking about it, and, like, it's, it depends on different moments, right? Because... Like, like, I respect Brandon Chambly, but he's up there. You know, I would think that that would be fun. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we talked about Reed I like how there. you start it with, uh, I respect Brandon Chambly. <laughs> well, I said it with all due respect. Res- with all, with all due respect, you're a piece of shit, yeah. Um, you know, Kevin Nall is another highlight. You know, I, I think that would be up there. Um, you know, I, and also it varies week to week, right? Because if I pick someone who misses the cut, they're going to be on top of the list. That's true, too. He's very upset when his guys miss the cut. Hey, at least I don't go uh, on the Twitter rampage like Gooch has to settle some people down at times, too. Well, right. At least you're not tweeting at them telling them they're scum because they cost you $3 <laughs> in our DraftKings pool that yeah. week. I'm just thinking. Mine, mine would definitely be Kevin Nod. Did you see the sweatshirt that he was wearing this week? It was very loud. It did. It was, very, it was as loud as Will Smith yelling what? last night at when the Oscars. When at all costs. Did, did he wear that on the first day? He wore it every day. He wore it on By the first the way, day. Did, he, sure. did he win that day? On his collar this week, he also had the Saudi Arabia logo. Really? Yeah. I didn't notice I didn't notice that. Huh. Um well. he did win the first day when he was wearing that super loud shirt. Yeah. So yeah. I, I guess at the end of the day it makes it a little bit better if you if you win, but at the same time, no. It's just it's not good looking at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean you always look worse than you lose. That's <laughs> there's no doubt. I mean you can be the best dressed guy, but you go out and get beat, you don't look nearly as good. Uh by the way, did y'all know that the Oscars is called the Oscars because somebody a long time ago was like, Hey, that trophy looks like uh, this guy named Oscar. Yes. And they were like, Cool, the Oscars. And now everybody just calls it that. No one calls it the Academy Awards. It's the most random thing in the world. It'd be like yeah. if somebody was like, oh, the uh, trophy for the for the tour championship. That looks like Ben Hogan. It's the Ben Hogan Award now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah By the way, to finish off the Will Smith story, about 30 minutes after he did that, he had to accept the award for King Richard. And he went up there and cried and gave a heartfelt speech. And what's another word for Richard? <laughs> All right, moving along here on the 73rd hole. Uh, so we do have some golf this week. I got to be honest with you all. I think the Valero is the third best tournament of the week. I think the Augusta National Women's Amateur is number one. Okay. I think the Chevron is number two because it's a major. Also, I, I kind of like the golf course. I don't like the, the big stands they put behind the 18th that keep them going in the water, but I do like the golf yeah. course. I think Valero is number three because unless Richard what? Bland wins... Are you crazy? Unless Richard Bland wins. Are you crazy? Is, it's thir- third. Third. No no respect for the drive, chip, and putt. Third. The Valero's fourth. Third. <laughs> third. I, I stand by what I said. Tyler? I don't know, guys. It's just, like, at this point, Augusta Women's is number one just because it is the preview for Augusta. Yes. I don't care about any golf this week at all. I truly don't. I Unless do. it affects, it's great stuff. Well, I'm talking about on a relative level, right? It's like it's like you, you know when you have your college football team and you play a tough road game the next week, a trap game the week before. This is the trap week in golf, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> to me, you couldn't pick a more boring and non-like Augusta tournament than San Antonio. I, like I said last show, those courses are not God. They're, they're nothing the same. Nothing at all. I'll say the, the, the only similar they have there are eighteen holes. That's the only thing that's similar. <laughs> that's funny. the uh, The only <laughs> thing that could make me really care about the Valero on Sunday is if Richard Bland is in contention. Yeah, forty nine years well, old, trying to make his Masters debut. He's got to win the or, Valero to or get if in. Kevin Na makes another sixteen. 
that could happen. There are some trees at the Valero. <laughs> That's where he there did it. There are a lot of trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of trees. He got out there, and it was, it was one of those where it wasn't marked, and he found his ball, so he had to play it, and he I just will, kept having to play it, and he couldn't get it out. I will say this about Kevin Knott, one of my favorite quotes ever. What did you make on that whole? I have no idea. Yeah, that was good. No. He's like, I don't know. Was it on TV? Somebody count him. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we don't have a strength to field out or anything like that. But, I mean, you know, like Abraham Answers in the field. Um, you know, so if there's a local guy playing. Or, you know, DeChambeau's in the field. I mean, it might be interesting if he starts playing good or something like that. But that is not the course for Bryson at all. That is, like, anti-Bryson. What, if we, get, what if we get Bryson Bland again on uh, on Sunday of Valero? By the way. Bland, boy, Harry Bland hate him in the match play. Or before, boy, Harry Higgs, if he's up there, I'll watch. Before the cool. week this week at the match play, Bryson... Being back was the big story, and at the end of the week, it's just Bryson's back. Also, I think we called it. He wasn't going to win a match. Also, you know? he said he had a broken bone in his left hip and his left wrist. That's uh, that's cap. I mean, he hadn't mentioned any of that previously, so. And, and that's not from his stra- uh, speed training and working out. Uh, they said that he broke his left wrist playing ping pong, which I would love to know how that happened because I played a Slam lot of ping pong and I've gotten pretty intense playing ping pong, running around some. I don't know how you break your wrist playing ping pong. That has to be no idea. drunk ping pong getting angry. Also, it's, his, it's his left wrist, <laughs> and he's right-handed, so maybe he, like, dove and, his, like, braced his... Maybe that's why... Maybe he was playing with some of his OU buddies. Maybe. Did you see the ping pong yep. table when we were there? Yep, maybe he the went Hulk smash. The Maybe he went Hulk smash on the OU. ping pong table. Yeah. So. <laughs> I wonder how that happens. I don't know. But Bryson is basically on the do not bet list until further notice. Like, he yes. just has to show some form first. Yeah. Because he's going to have to find something. And by the way, one of the worst putts I've ever seen from Bryson this week in the first match. Oh, yeah. First match, number three, 25 feet to win the hole, going straight downhill, little right <laughs> to left. 10 feet to tie the hole. And then 10 <laughs> feet for the half. He just left it way short. Actually, that was actually one of the three holes on the front nine that Richard Bland and Bryson Shambo halved with bogey. Here's another thing I want to bring up. Because Bland three putted the same hole. You want to bring... <laughs> Impressive. I, I want to bring this up. I hate calling it tying the hole or the match is tied. It has, it has to be halved and all square. I do, agree. do people call it tied? That's what it, it that's is. What, that's what it was showed on, on the, the, they, uh, in, in the broadcast. In the rules of golf now, oh, it says they changed tied. the lingo to tied like to make they, it more Like they changed hazard to penalty modern. area. So stupid. Speaking of hazards and penalty areas, how about the uh, line that was on the drain? Oh, my God. Hey, let's talk about that for a second. How do you paint a line on a sprinkler head? I... The the actual rule change, right. <laughs> the, the actual rule change to move the line in the middle of the round, I didn't have a huge problem with because it's match play. It wasn't really impacting anybody, but the actual act of someone going out there with the spray paint and painting the line up against the sprinkler head, you don't. Number one, you don't put it. Put the sprinkler head in the hazard. You put it outside of the hazard. Yeah, you you because the line was just drawn straight, and it's like, oh, that sprinkler is there. I don't care. I'm just gonna go over yeah. it. It's like, no, you go around. It's not like the sprinkler head was like an inch away from the now, water either. It was like a foot. They had room. I did see some dumb tweets about you know you wouldn't move the sideline in the middle of a football game. Each match, if it was stroke play, they wouldn't have moved it. But it's match play. Each match is its own. It is its own game. Yeah. So you can change tee boxes. I had no problem with them moving that line. It should obviously have been. Moved. You could change pins. I mean, you can do anything you want and between then, matches. And then, also, that's a really weird equivalency that somebody drew to talk about the sideline in football. It was Kyle yeah, Porter be, because in every, comparison to a penalty line in golf. Because every football field's the same size. Not every hazard line's the same. Yeah. Right. And then, by the way, the other thing is, it was extremely lucky that it was in the drain because it would have gone in the hazard. 
Both of the yeah. guys, Peters and Bryson, right. who both ended up in the drain, both would have been in the water if they hadn't ended up in the drain. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to complain about. Yeah. Either, either that or maybe they would have got the uh, one. Somebody stopped, like, up against the wood plank on Wednesday. Like, barely trickle over the grass. And it was like much better. No, it was resting against the wood plank. They couldn't really do anything with it. Had to try to hole it and ended up making bogey, I think. Lost the so, hole. The, the caveat from all this is that the the, first, the one who got screwed on was Thomas Peters. And he was yeah. playing my boy Tom Hoagie. Thanks a lot, buddy. And, he, you know, and, and Peters and, and won the match anyway. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, he already won anyway. He was like three up at that point. So, you know, it didn't end up costing anything. So, I think that's one of the reasons why it didn't end up being as big of a, a deal as it was. But when it, the, the thing that confused people is that, you know, when you have one match play event a year, you can do weird things. And, you know, stroke play can't do it, which, you know, there's no, that's absolutely true. So I think that that's just what confused people. They didn't know what the hell was going on, which is how it always is with the rules of golf. And speaking of Thomas Peters, he was one of five to earn master's invites via the official world golf ranking. The other four, uh, you had to be in the top 50 as of today and have not already had an invite in another way. Thomas Peters, 34th in the world ranking. Harold Varner, the third, who's 40th. Seamus Power, 41st. He was 48th coming into the week, needed a good week to stay in the top 50 and got to the corner, quarterfinals. So good for him. Russell Henley, 47th. And Cameron Young, 47th ranked player in the world. Uh, Varner, Power, and Young all making their uh, their first starts at Augusta National. So, congrats to those guys. All right, so guys, last year at uh, the Punta Cana tournament, um, Seamus Power was 463rd in the world. Whoa. And now he's what, 41st? 40. First in the world. Yes. That is one one hell of a year right there, <laughs> boys. Let me tell year. you. Also, if you'd like to uh, learn more about what happened in the official world golf rankings this week, <laughs> golfchannel.com. I wrote up a little piece this morning. <laughs> Detailed it all for you. Uh, Scotty, Scotty being the number one player in the world. Before I forget, you mentioned this earlier, but Bland tweeted out this morning. He goes, let's go to the Valero Texas Open and get a victory or... Augusta National could just think kindly of me and invite yes, me. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what they should do, honestly. I don't think they will because it's Augusta, but not going you to. never know. You never know. No, speaking, I know. Speaking no, of Augusta. No, no, absolutely not. That's the last thing. They'd invite Phil before they would Bland. If Augusta's not giving out any free handouts. Speaking That's of Augusta, sure. we, we want to get to the Gooch interview, but, but we've got to talk about something else first. Tiger Woods was at the medalist walking the golf course. This happened a, right after our radio show yes, yesterday. Yes, so a, we couldn't talk about a it. A video was posted of him hitting a tee shot at medalist. It was then taken down because it was not supposed to be posted. Apparently, there were some college kids out there. They took video. They weren't supposed to. Video got taken down. I would imagine that they won't be invited back to medalist because Tiger likes his privacy. And, you know, Medalist, I think everybody kind of knows. You're out there. You don't take videos of Tiger. I think that's kind of understood. Why would you, tw- if you saw that, why would you tweet that out? Why wouldn't you put the biggest future on Tiger Woods playing at Augusta? Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, don't let everybody know because now there are reports that Tiger and his camp are making a scouting trip to Augusta National this week. It's Suck it, Taylor! Wait, Suck wait, it! Let's go! go! Friday at 5. Friday at 5 is whenever he has till. To decide. So, look, guys. How are you feeling about your pizza bet now, Tito? Look, guys, there's <laughs> there's a few things in life that every individual should know, right? You should know how to you, balance your checkbooks different. Now, you need to know how to do your taxes. You need to know how to run the dishwasher, do your laundry. <laughs> Hedging a bet is on that list. And the happiness hedge is even more important than the actual hedge. And for any young listeners out there listening who need to know how to plan their future, this is how you do a happiness hedge. I will be so happy if I had to bring pizza and canes. So happy. It'll be the best day of my life So uh, this year, for sure. So this, I have no problem with it. I hope that I am bringing you guys food. But if he's not playing, 
I'll get to you know stuff my sorrows with pizza and canes. I'll so. say this: he may get off the hook on Masters Sunday because that's when I would have had him pay it off. But I will be doing radio for the Sports Animal that morning, and then I will be doing radio in the from noon to two at Twin Peaks, which T Dub nice. is going to come on and talk nice. a little golf with oh, yeah. me. And then I will be doing post post final round, depending on when the Thunder game is. So and the hot man will be down at Augusta. And yeah, he's going to be live. He's going to be on our radio show yep. next week from yep. the A and W A. Yeah, he's going down but, early to cover the A and W A and the Chip and Putt. But T Dub, you're not going to have to pay it off Masters Sunday, but that Monday after. <laughs> It's going to be I'm, sweet. We're talking I, I'm, I'm hideaway. You, we might do our show podcast live from the hideaway booth. Dude, I would. <laughs> I've still got it on. If y'all want to double the bet, I will. I still don't think he plays. You want to double it now? I'll double it right now. Yeah. I, 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 I don't want to double it because I don't want it I'm to hurt. It. I don't want it to hurt twice as bad if he doesn't play because now I've got my hopes up. So I don't want it to hurt twice as bad. But I'll well, say this. I want this. it to feel twice as good. I, I could huh. be set up for the greatest nine-day stretch in the history of human history because if Tiger commits Friday afternoon, boom. Have a baby on Saturday, boom. And then uh, Tiger wins the Masters next week, boom. If Tiger greatest wins. nine-day stretch in the human history. <laughs> In the if, history Tiger of wins, if Tiger wins, what's the best part of that week? Well, I mean, technically, Layla would have been born the week before. Yeah. Technically, Layla would have been born the week before. Separate weeks, Sam. So, Separate weeks. So, so, you know what this would remind me of? Sam, do you remember after o- OSU beat OU in football and Lincoln Riley left, Colby was on this high pedestal. It was the best yep. week of the year. And then they just get their ass smacked by Baylor, and then it comes down. So what will happen is, is that Tiger will play, he'll get in contention, and he'll probably make another 12 on number 12 like he did, and then it'll just make everything way worse. I thought he made a 10 on 12. Was it a 12? 12 sounds better. 12 sounds better. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with it. Hey, by the way, hey, what is it your boy Mark Rogers says? Never let the facts get in the way of a good story. By yeah, the way, can exactly. I just say something real quick? If Tiger's this close to maybe playing at Augusta, the chances the chances that we see him live and in person at Southern Hills have gone up considerably in the last 48 hours. I will say this. I'm starting to get nervous, guys. Are we going to actually get a chance to ask him a question? I'll, I'll probably faint before I do. But, Dude, oh so my God. Not, there'll be 500 people yeah, so in there. Yeah, exactly. and, we'll, and we'll be 498, 99, yeah, and 500 on the list. Yeah. <laughs> see, I'll, I'll just try to run up to the front, see if I can yeah. hopefully knock someone out along the way. Yeah, you'll get tackled. Yes, yeah. probably by you. Colby can't tackle you. That's a good point. I'm too small. Too many injuries. (laughs) But I will. this is what I was going to say. I think that before we had always talked about, well, if he doesn't play Augusta, there's no chance that he plays PGA Championship. When you see this right here, there may be a logical chance that he's not ready by Augusta, but then in a month he can play Southern Hill. So I think that... And and it's actually, isn't it six weeks? Because it's the second weekend in April, and then it's the the 26th of May. I think it's like the 21st of May. 21st, whatever. So, but anyway, yeah, it's like five or six weeks that he has in between the Masters and the PGA. So, I, I mean, at this point, my hopes are up for him to play the Masters, but my hopes are really up for him to play Southern. Me too. I mean, also, defending champion at Southern. I also think it's funny that Sam's yeah. been so confident about the pizza bet, and I asked him two weeks ago to double it, and he wouldn't do it, and now he is. And But his confidence hasn't changed, but now he's willing to double the bet. Yeah, that's fair. You're still willing to double the bet. I, I, I just did double the bet. I, I'm not going to double the double bet. Yeah, hammer. Rehammer. <laughs> hammer. Hammer. Rehammer. Uh, all right. So, are we ready to get to Taylor Gooch? Let's I, get I, to I it. Think, I think the people are ready to hear but from Before go we ahead, go, go, I had the uh, world rankings here. I thought this would be a fun thing to get out on. So, uh, Sevi Ballesteros is sixth when it turns to amount of weeks being number one in the world at 61. Number five is 97. And then there's four guys that have been number one for more than 100 weeks. Can you name the five players? Tiger. Yeah, Tiger's the obvious and, number one. And how one. many weeks? Uh, 683. Very good, Colby. Yeah. 
I said it earlier in the show. That's why I knew. <laughs> Very good. Um, um, Tiger. VJ. Uh, no VJ. Ooh. What about well, uh, Jack? Uh, rankings weren't around. Okay. Then. What about Rory? Rory's number four at 106. Show me Greg Norman. Greg Norman, number two, 331. By far, number two. Nick Faldo? Nick Faldo's number five at 97. So you guys are missing one player. Missing one guy. Who are we missing? So so for comparison's sake, Rory is 106. Norman was 331. Number three is 135. Uh, Phil? Oh, wait. No, Phil never got to number one. Ain't that crazy? Scheffler's number one in the world, and Phil never DJ? was. Scheffler didn't play in Tiger's Prime. DJ? <laughs> DJ, 135 weeks. Look at us. So the five players that have been Not over. bad on the questions right? We today. did good today Tiger, on trivia. Tiger, Saudi Arabia, Greg Norman, DJ, Rory, and the legacy man himself, Nick Faldo. <laughs> you said Saudi Arabia, Greg Norman? Um, by the way, how high Kevin Kisner? Oh, good question. Oh, good one. Kevin um, Kisner. Did he get in the top ten at some point? I don't think he's ever been a top ten guy. I think he's been fringe top 15 guy. I'm going to go 17th is how high on Kesner. I think he was a little higher. Give me 12th, Sam. Do you have it pulled up already? It's pulling up right now. I'm efforting as well. Kevin Kesner. 17th. 14th. 14th. Best official world golf position, 14th. Yep, 14th. What did you say, Tyler? 12th. And I said 17th. Did you make a guess? No. Or you were the, uh, the, the, the moderator. looker-upper. Yeah, you were the moderator. All right. Good stuff, boys. Uh, we'll be back. Probably Wednesday, I would imagine, to preview all the golf this weekend. Like we mm-hmm. said, Augusta National Women's Amateur, Chevron, Major out in California for the women, the LPGA, Drive, Chip, and Putt, Valero, Texas Open. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you our DraftKings for the Drive, Chip, and Putt. That's going to be Oh, nice. how do my DraftKings turn out? <laughs> I don't know. I, you, 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 never, you, know, you know what's funny is that I – so what happened was I had I got to be the only guy to have Kanaya. You had to have been the only guy to have Kanaya. <laughs> so I, I messed up because I did the old midnight switch. I had Scheffler and Paul Casey in there, and for whatever reason, I changed it. And the six guys I picked, none of them advanced. Not oh, one. Oh, wow. Not okay, one. that's what I was saying. And you had, because you had Rom, didn't you? Two? I had Rom. And, I should have had Fitzpatrick, Kanaya? but I didn't. And Kanaya. I had Rom and Kanaya. Yeah. Rom and Kanaya, yeah. were you advancing? Yeah, I didn't do very I think, uh, I think they I lost had a first few advanced. Wow, I finished fourth. I finished one spot outside the money. I hadn't even looked all week. Uh, I had Cantlay. Cantlay advanced. No, did he didn't. He? No, Cantlay did not advance. <laughs> Cantlay, got, no. Cantlay played like he did at the players, uh, dude. I tried to tell you. I think Kisner was my only advance. But I had Kisner, so that got me 180 hey, draft before, games points. That's what got me up there. Before we get to the Gooch interview real quick, let's get a update on the standings for the one and done. Oh, do we really want to do that? No, I, no, because no, we, we are we are bad. Because we're gonna forget about it. Yeah, you're right. What, what, right. what about when I pick the winner this week? Because then I'm gonna move way up. All right, going in now, standings. <laughs> I'm not gonna move that far up because you would up. pick the winner this week and not at the Masters. I'll, I'll pick standings. the winner this week and have two missed cuts at the Masters. Here we go. Season Where standings. no one misses the cut. All right, Taylor is in 102nd. Out of that's not bad. Out of 128, not that bad. <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> You're beating a few people. <laughs> Sam is in 56th. Let's go. Out of 128, mine's not going to be good. I'm in 88th out of 128. Right. So, man, Colby, you were top 10 at one point, weren't you? Um, bro, you didn't make a pick for Punta Cana. I, think I was top 10 after like the three. No, I forgot to pick for Punta Cana last week. Did any of our one <laughs> and duns? I would. I would have picked Chad Ramey too. It's a bummer. Who was your guys one and duns? Oh, week? Hoagie and Homa. I had Hoagie and Harmon. So. L, yeah, L, L. Yeah, none of none L, of our picks made L, it out of the L, group stage. And, and, L. And, oh, you burned Xander this week, didn't you? That one yeah. kind of stings. Yeah. And Paul Casey was most picked, but second and third most picked, Scheffler and Kisner. Oh, yeah, what tw- do you know? 21 people had uh, Scheffler. And 18 and Kisner. 
Or something like that. Maybe 14. Why did I not pick Kisner? That's so stupid. Why did I pick Why did the analytics data golf had him as the least chance to get out of his bracket? That's like the one time I've looked at the analytics and said, dude, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Why did I pick Kisner like three weeks ago like a moron? Then I went in to pick him this week and he wasn't available. Bro, you picked him at Sony. finished like third, dude. That was a good pick. That was a good pick. That's why I was top ten after like two weeks of the season. And he's picked Spieth uh, for a second at Pebble. He ain't going to finish second all year. (laughs) And I'm 88th in the pool, so I'm going to need to get hot. Right. If you got to remember to make picks, Colby, I do. Need no to matter how to make bad picks. the field is, you got to make a pick. Who'd y'all have in Punta Cana? T. Gala. Well, how did he do? Uh, not, I'm in 100 I seconds. So <laughs> Matias Schwab. How'd Matias Schwab go? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, T. Gala, 22nd. Wait, no. Punta Cana. No. Punta Cana. Chad, Chad Ramey won. Johnny Vegas was in contention. No, I had ben Vegas. Ben Martin was up there. I had Vegas. You had Vegas? That's yeah, a good I pick. Had, oh. What was the tournament before the um, couple weeks ago. Oh, was there was the, another. Uh, Puerto Rico was a couple weeks yeah. ago. Was yeah, the other that's where I had Matias Schwab. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, good stuff. It's time to listen to Taylor Gooch. Uh, this is just shy of an hour. Great stuff from TG. Talks about the redesign at John Conrad, the playing golf at Oak Tree. Uh, a lot of stuff here in Oklahoma. Also talks about his first trip to Augusta National a few weeks ago to play uh, before his first trip to the Masters. Talks about Saudi. Talks about that incredible 17th hole at the Players' Championship. A lot of great stuff coming up on the other side with Taylor Gooch. By the way, just again, before we get off, you know, we'll say it again on Wednesday, but Craig Humphreys live from Augusta, 73rd hole radio show this Sunday, 10 a.m. if you're in Oklahoma. I, yep. can't, I can't wait for that. Sports Animal. Sports 90, Animal. 98.1. 98.1. 98.1. 98.1 WWLS-FM. Check yep. us out. Taylor Gooch coming up next. Thanks for listening. 73rd hole. Colby's part podcast. of the good guys now. Of Golf Oklahoma. <laughs> when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. We're back on the 73rd hole, and now we have a very, very special guest, one of our closest friends to the 73rd hole podcast, and now joining us on the Sports Animal is none other than Taylor Gooch. Last year, Taylor, we had you in this same room. You were ranked 86th in the world, and you have made a continuous rise up to number 32 in the world right now. Got the win at the RSM, first win on the PGA Tour TG, what's it like being a winner on the PGA Tour? Uh, it changes things a little bit. Uh, the schedule's a little bit different. Um, you know, you kind of have a different uh, respect among, you know, your peers out there. Uh, everyone knows how hard it is to win on the PGA Tour. So uh, when when a guy gets it done, it's it's not by, you know, not by chance. So it's, man, it's it's been a 
awesome, awesome, you know, ride. And uh, we'll see if we can, few, you know, get a few more of those wins on under the belt. For those of you that don't know, Taylor played his high school golf at Carl Albert High School here in Oklahoma. And Taylor, first things first, how's the family? How often do you get back to Oklahoma? Tell us about everything Oklahoma-based for you. Yeah, uh, you know, we're still based here. Uh, we obviously travel a lot, but whenever I'm not on the road for, for tournaments, I'm going to be home. And so we spend a lot of time here, uh, and I, I wish I could have some more off time to spend more time here, but no, nah, the family's good. Uh, I just got off of two weeks in Florida at the Arnold Palmer and the players, and uh, the my wife and, and baby girl were, were there with me for those two weeks, and um, and so we get, you know, a fair amount of time on the road with, uh, with the family together. So it, it makes it nice. So I'm becoming a girl dad in T minus from when we're recording this T minus 16 days, I'll be about six days oh. from becoming a dad whenever this airs. So <laughs> God's close. What, what's your advice for a first year girl dad? Oh man. It, it, I get, feel like I get asked this a bit and I, I come from a, a little bit of a different uh, lifestyle because I'm not home every day like you're right. going to be. Um, <laughs> so I almost don't know how to uh, compare, but Is I was just... a good or bad thing that he's going to be home every day? I would say a little bit good, a little bit bad. <laughs> I, you know, this next week I'm going to be in, in Austin and my, my uh, family's not coming with me and, uh, you know, I'm going to miss them, but there will also be times where it's nice to not... Uh, you know, have the you know responsibilities that you have to have at all times. So I get a little bit of a break from it every now and again. Well, and you get um, to sleep through the night when you're on the road, too. You know, uh, hey, obviously sleep is crucial, but that's a little bit out of your control. Uh, but hey, just just enjoy it and be there for him, man. That's all you can do. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely can't wish you uh, new fathers in any more luck. Obviously, TG's doing such a great job, so definitely take his advice, Colby, on that. Oh, TG, you mentioned just a second ago that you came back from two tournaments down in Florida, Sawgrass Bay Hill, both extremely tough tests, but both of them seemed a little different on TV. You know, Sawgrass rained so much, you were delayed for a day and a half. Bay Hill, the greens were as hard as this ping-pong table that we're on right now, so kind of dive into how tough those struggles were, and what was the real difference between the two courses? Yeah, I mean, completely different. Uh, you know, just before we started going, I was telling you about a seven iron that I hit at Bay Hill that uh, from its divot ended up at about, well, it didn't even make a divot from where it landed. It ended up, you know, about 30 yards past it uh, uh, where it landed. So, you know, going from one week where seven irons are releasing 100 feet to the next week. Uh, so the last hole I played on the first round uh, of the players which was um, we ended Friday, my round, my group ended Friday right when they called it on, and we ended on like by finishing our round and we were on number nine to par five and uh, I had a third shot to a front pin and there really wasn't much wind. It was just raining and I had a hundred and like eight yards, which is normally a 56, my sandwich. And uh, the greens were so saturated and there was so much, you know, moisture that I I hit a pitching wedge, you know, a, a wedge that I normally hit from 140, 145 yards. I had to hit that because that was the only ball that I could keep from not ripping off the green. Uh, so it was a very, very different, uh, you know, playing conditions and, and the, the courses, the tournament, everything was was very different. And then uh, to add on top of that too, the next day when we got back out there Saturday at the players, uh, it was blowing about 30, gusting about 40. 
And so, uh, you know, be- between the two weeks, I, s- I saw a little bit of everything for sure. Did you agree or disagree with Brandel saying that it was unfair on Saturday? Um, you know, I don't know if I would say it was unfair. I, I don't think I would characterize it like that. I, I think it, it was incredibly difficult, uh, but m- as much as anything, 17 in, in particular, it was just a guessing game. Like, I played with Kokrak and uh, Hudson Swafford, and the three of us hit it near enough the same distance, and I think it was like 143 to the back pin on f- or on the second round Saturday. Um, and the wind was like in and a little bit out the left, like 11 o'clock, and uh, so 143 or whatever it was, and we're all hitting eight irons, you know, a 175 kind of swing. And, um, and Kokrat goes first, flushes it right in the middle of the green or lands on the top, you know, and then comes back and, um, Hudson goes next and he flushes it and he got a gust and it came up short eight iron that went about 109 yards. (laughs) And then, so I get up there and I, I flush it and the wind switched from about 11 o'clock to about nine 30 and I airmailed the green by like 15 yards. And so it was just like three shots that if we were on a dead calm range would probably be within the you know size of this ping pong table like next to each other. And one came up at 109, one went about 138, and then mine went about 155, you know. So uh, it, it wasn't, I don't think, unfair. Uh, and plus, I mean, it, it's golf. Golf is innately unfair, you know. Right. And so I, I, I wouldn't say it was unfair. I, it was just unfortunate timing for some guys, you know. So that's just the way it goes. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you try to get that out of your mind, come back, get some practice in, and then headed down to Austin for the WGC match play next week. So, um, I mean, what are you looking forward to about that? How much match play have you played throughout your years coming up in the game of golf? Uh, obviously going to be another long, grueling week with the, the five-day schedule if you make it all the way through. So what are your thoughts as you head toward Austin? I love match play. I, I can't wait to do it. Uh, there's a course just right on the street, Rose Creek, where I uh, won uh, OGA state match play tournament back when I was like 14 or 15. And so I've, I've always loved match play and uh, I wish we played more of it, you know, um, but uh, unfortunately on the pro level, we don't, we don't get many you know opportunities. This will only be my second match play uh, opportunity, you know, since I've been a pro. So I'm, I'm excited to get it going. And was the first one in Austin? Yeah. Last year was the first one. Okay. I but, didn't realize, yeah. I didn't realize it was last year. If it was a few years ago mm-hmm. before they changed it. Yeah. 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 So we're, uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm super pumped about it. How, whenever you're playing match play TG, how much does your strategy change compared to like a stroke play event? You know, are you like, for example, if you're playing against someone on, is it the 14th hole there? That's a drivable par four with the water mm-hmm. left. So yeah. like if you're playing with someone and they hit in the water on that hole before you do, does your yeah. strategy change from there? So yeah. just kind of dive with us through on that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's so circumstance. Yes. Your strategy is, is, it's going to change, uh, depending on how things are, are unfolding in the match. Uh, you know, it, you try to, my strategy is just to try to put the pressure on the other guy and make him do something, you know? Um, but you know, the, the, the match, it's almost like college basketball where there's ebbs and flows of like, you know, momentum. And so the last thing you want to do is give the guy any momentum. And so I actually like being maybe a touch more conservative in match play, uh, because the last thing I want to do is give a guy, just give a guy a free hole or give a guy a free, you know, free momentum, you know? And so that's kind of how I, I view it. And 
uh, I, I like to make the other guy go and, and make it happen. What's your uh, comfort zone on giving a putt? Two and a half feet, two feet. Uh, what's uh, what's the longest you would give a, a playing partner a putt? Yeah, um, God, that's a good question. Um, Probably depends on the player a little bit, right? I was going right? to say it depends on the player. And obviously on the if it's downhill, yeah. left to right, right to left makes yeah, a lot of difference. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm pretty generous, uh, I think, you know, f- for the most part. I You know, if you're playing in this tournament, you're – near enough a top 50 player in the world we don't miss many of those uh and especially if they're in normal conditions you know and it's not blowing 30 or something so um you know i'm i'm gonna make the guy earn it but i'm also not gonna be you know a jerk about it either so obviously we're recording this on the first day of march madness speaking of brackets and speaking of match play the Oklahoma State Cowboys are having a great year this year. Have you been keeping up with them? They're number two in the nation right now, and you played there as well. Have you been keeping up and talking to those guys? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I don't get to, I don't know many of them too well now, but obviously right. I keep up with them uh, and watch how they're doing. Uh, I've played with Eugenio a few times, a couple tournaments where he played, uh, like that, uh, my Coba last year. Uh, we played Tuesday together, and so. What do you think about his game? He's good, man. Yeah, he's really good. He's 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 a great ball striker, and and um, yeah, I mean, the, his the results speak for itself. So he's he's doing a great job, and um, yeah, it's it's cool to see the the state of uh, golf in Oklahoma right now. You know, it's it's in a good spot. Yeah, absolutely, it is. And your former home track you grew up on, John Conrad, big redesign. Yeah. Have you had a chance to go out there? Do you have plans to play it when it reopens? What uh, What do you think of the redesign? Yeah, I've seen the little picture here and there that some buddies have sent, and it looks awesome. I'm I'm pumped to see it. Uh, I'll do you have any say? No, no. <laughs> they didn't I, give hey, you any say. No. I, <laughs> hey, if they call, I'll tell them. Uh, <laughs> but no, I I I'm super pumped about it. It's cool that they've you know put you know, this much investment into the course and into the community. And, and it'll be cool to see the result of it when they get done with it. I'll, I'll definitely be making my way out there. Yeah. Well, let's say TG, let's say you were brought in for the course design. Let's say you just know John Connor from what it was growing up playing. If you could have made one change to the course, what would you have done? That's a good question. Mm, that's a good question. Because <laughs> I've seen you shoot the best bogey-free 64 I think I've ever seen in my life out there, so I wouldn't want to change too much. Yeah, well, that's what, like, I'm walking through, I'm like, man, I don't know if you'd want to change a whole lot. The, the only thing I would initially say is uh, the the green complexes need to a little bit of an ad, ad, adaption to what they currently are. They're just, they're really, really flat. And so if they if and they don't need to do a whole lot if they could just add a little bit of undulation and, and you know some different you know just not circles w- that have no you know shelves or anything on it like that's that's they're just they're super plain right now and so if, if they could just add a little bit of character to the greens it, it, immediately it would change the you know the whole dynamic of the place. Another course that's going through a restoration is Southern Hills, where the PGA is going to be here in a couple months. Number one, have you been up there to play Southern Hills? Played it in the past. What are your thoughts about that? And then number two, playing in front of the home fans is something that golfers rarely get to do. Are you excited about that? Yeah, super, super pumped. It's one of my favorite courses in the world. Uh, the, the only time I've played a tournament there was uh, the U.S. Amateur was there, I want to say like 09. Oh, not, oh 09, yeah. Right. And Cedar as well, I think. Yeah, that was yep. the other stroke play. Yeah, and so uh, I, so for me, it's it's got a special place in my heart just because I played. That was my first USAM. I think I was maybe a junior in high school, and and so uh, That's pretty first, amazing. First USAM, it was a special week. Had all the friends and family out there, and and to come full circle, you know, a couple, you know, years later uh, to be playing a PGA Championship out there, it's going to be super super special.
Yeah, obviously the PGA is going to be great, but there is another major between now and then. <laughs> Your first Masters. Have you been to Augusta yet? How excited are you to tee it up Thursday, first tee? I mean, what, what's that feel like with that yeah. on the horizon? Uh, sure, I might be more excited about the Wednesday Part three. I mean, we just got uh, for our baby girl. We just got her little uh, jumpsuit, oh, the, awesome. the caddy suit, in that's a couple be days the most ago. So adorable thing. Oh yeah, we already had her model it, tried on the whole thing. <laughs> Who's so caddying? My wife will be. Yeah, nice. and so it'll be. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, it's a dream come true. You know, in every every way you look at it. So have, it, have you been out there yet? Yeah. So I went there uh, the weekend before uh, Arnold Palmer, uh, Max Homa, and I went out there and played Saturday Sunday. So it was. Yeah, it was it was special. It was it was you know everything you could imagine. And tell them what you were telling me about not being able to bring your caddy Mel Baker out there yeah. to make you take their caddies right, and just tell yeah. that whole experience. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. It's, and being out on Amen Corner by yourself, what's that like? So, uh, you know, a couple things. One, it was even though I w- wish Mal could have you know come out, it was cool just the whole experience of having an Augusta caddy and you know that whole thing. That was that was neat. And, and um, you know, I, I I've told a few of my buddies since the. Uh, the most iconic, like for me, where like it really, really hit me, was um, you know walking off of twelve green, and I just feel like and and you guys will, I mean, everyone who watched Masters knows this shot. And I look back up like to the tee and up eleven, and everything, and it was like it just hit me. I'm like, dude, this is what you see. Like this is Augusta. This is how I picture it, right? This is like the most iconic scene in golf, I think. And it, sure enough, I like hit me. I looked just to my right and there's like the camera tower that sits there that overlooks everything. I'm like, okay, this literally is it. This is what you see on every commercial when the music comes on, like the whole thing. So it was, uh, man, it was super cool, super special. What's one thing from playing Augusta that you learned that you can't get from playing, from watching on TV? So what's like something out there that's just really, like you just can't picture it? The the uh, areas of the greens uh, that you see certain pins um, that you see guys, you know, like 15 and 16, like on Sunday where guys are hitting shots in and it's like, you just see all these guys hitting, you know, these iron shots to certain, you know, on 16, like it's always lands in what looks to be this huge spot, like space that it all feeds, you know, to the pin. And you just think, Oh, it's like a reasonable shot. And you get up there and you're like, dude, it's not a whole lot bigger than this ping pong table where you got to hit it. But you see like what you think everybody doing it. So you think it's like this huge space where you just hit it into this like, you know, huge swimming pool area and it all just feet. It's like, no, the, the, the spaces where you have to hit it on those greens to get the ball to where it needs to finish. They're a lot smaller than what you imagine they are on TV. And part of that too is because, you know, you're not watching the guy who is missing the cut and, you know, not playing well on Sunday. You're watching the best players in the world. They're playing the best that week, and that's why they make it look easy. You know, but it's that—that that was the thing that stuck in my mind immediately. Was like, dude, these greens, like, they're small. Like, they're not like these huge. There's the complexes are insane, and you know the undulation, everything's insane. But where you got to actually hit the golf ball in these greens, it's just not a huge space, and so you you got to be on your on your A game. Now, Augusta's notoriously famous for being tough on first-timers because you, you haven't learned your way around yet. You don't know where to miss, all the shelves, all those different things. So your boy, Max Homa, he's played there before. Mm-hmm. How much were you kind of picking his brain as y'all went through it together? It's funny you bring that up because we were having this conversation. It's, it's, it is famous and notorious for the first-timers struggling, but what PGA tournament or course is not notoriously tough? 
it's not talked about because it's not the Masters, but any PGA course, how many first-time winners play and like win the first time they play a tournament? It's just it right. doesn't it doesn't happen. It's pretty rare, yeah. And and so it's just it's a it's a little bit of a you know I'm not going to say like a, a this whole like hidden agenda message that adds to the allure of Augusta, but it's just it's not really any difference from a normal golf course where it's like, we know, okay, the pins here, like you got to be below the hole this course more than any course, you got to be below the hole. And it's pretty obvious where below the hole is. And so of course it's, it's valuable to have played there many of times. Um, but that's any tournament you play on the PGA tour. It's incredibly valuable to have experience there. That's why, I, I would actually, we were talking, me and Max were talking about this. Um, I would love to see the stats of like other tournaments and other courses of like the success rate of first timers at different courses and compare it to like the masters. Right. And I, I just, I, I don't think it's any different in that aspect than really most of the, you know, top echelon top tier courses that we play. I would also say that Taylor's situation is a little different, too, because he's going into his first Masters with a great chance to win against this competition. I mean, just look at this year, eight eight top 20s, including four top 10s and a win at the RSM. You know, you've already proven yourself on tour. What's been clicking lately with technical-wise, maybe mental-wise? Where's your head at? Where's your game at right now? Uh, you know, it's just the progression of the game and, and the, the progression of being more and more comfortable. And I, I know that we've talked about this, you know, when I've come on with y'all before, but you just, you can't put a, like a value on comfort and that comfort I think only comes through ex- experience. Right. And, uh, so the more that I learn, like, f- for example, um, at the API, Taylor Moore got into the API and played, and that right. was his first time playing there. And, I was just, I like reflected back on the first time I played there and like when I'm walking around trying to get a feel for the place and trying to understand, learn the place, it's just amazing what a difference, you know, I think this was my fourth or fifth time playing it. It's amazing how much more just (sighs) relaxed you are when you're, because you're like, I know what to expect. Like I know these greens are going to get ridiculously firm. Like I know that the rough, like I know on one, when I probably push it right in the rough, I know I probably can't hit much more than a wedge or nine iron out there. I know because my first or second year, I tried to hit a six iron out there and I dribbled one, right? (laughs) And it's like you go through these times where you experience things that you just learn from um, that make such a huge difference over time. And as y'all know, the difference between on the PJ Tour, the difference between, you know, making a cut and missing a cut and making the cuts and getting in contention, it's just, it's such a fine line. And, And that fine line, uh, over the course of a season, it adds up and, and this little bit of added comfort and understanding of the courses and, and just understanding of your own game and your own tendencies on courses, those little bits of, you know, just understanding that comfort, it just, it adds up so much over time. And, and for me, you know, I really haven't, uh, played great the last two or three months. Uh, the ball striking has just been a little bit off for me. And the reason I've been able to have some success a little bit is I just, I know how to kind of, you know, manage my game on these golf courses. I know where to miss it. Like I understand, you know, where to be conservative and where to kind of, you know, I can hit hybrid three wood off this. You don't have to hit driver. And you know what? Par is a good score on this hole. So when we get in the fairway, even though you're going to have an eight iron in, 
you know, let's just, let's try to hit the green, you know, 20, 30 feet. We don't have to go at it. And so you just start to learn uh, the golf courses and understand your game better and better through time. Yeah. And I alluded to it at the beginning of the show when I said last year, we're sitting in the same exact place. You're in the ranked in the eighties in the world. Now you're in the thirties in the world. What do you have to do to take that next jump into the top 15s, top 10s of the world? Yeah. And that's what we're working on. Um, you know, for me, uh, if I can get the ball in the fairway, um, you know, I know that probably everyone feels like this, but for me, even more so, if I can get the ball in the fairway, we're we're going to have a you know pretty good chance at doing some good stuff. And so, uh, continuing to to work on my my tee ball, hitting drivers further and straighter, uh, that that's the goal. You know, I, I my irons are are pretty solid, and I wedge it decently. And so, if I can get it, get the ball in the fairway just one more time around that. I, th- I was just talking with my uh, my caddy and my coach about that here in the last couple months. Like, if, if we can just, over the course of the season, average one more fairway around, I think that's the difference between being, you know, a 30th, 40th ranked player in the world for me to top 20, top 15, just like that. And so that, that's that's kind of the next progression. Right. And for our radio listeners that haven't heard you on the podcast, we, they might be asking, well, ask about what his goals are, right? Well, we've asked you that in the past and you said you have one goal, that's to be number one in the world. Just talk uh, for a second about that yeah. for maybe people that haven't heard that before. Yeah. You know, I I learned early on in my career, like uh, if I set goals, I it just, it doesn't do me well for kind of my progression in my game. I get a little bit short, you know, near side I start looking things to you know obtainable here in the future and I kind of lose track of like the day-to-day stuff so I know if I can kind of have this big over you know overall goal of being number one player in the world I know to be the number one player in the world I gotta be the best player that I can be so to be the best player that I can be that means every day when I go to get work in I got to utilize and optimize what I'm doing. Right. And so I, I know for me and my pro, I know some people are different, you know, like Justin Thomas, I know is a big goal guy of like seasonal goals. Uh, but I've just learned that doesn't get me to become the best player that I can be. Um, and so I, the best player that I can be is, you know what? Number one player in the world is it's a long way out and it's a, it looks like a stretch at times, but you know, I know the only way that's going to be possible is if every day I'm getting a little bit better. You know, TG, speaking of number one in the world, one of the things that made news a couple of weeks ago when Scheffler won was it was the first time that the top five players in the world had all been under the age of 30. And, you know, I saw an article um, this week. There's a Corn Ferry event down in Louisiana, and two high schoolers Monday qualified into the event. So, Dang. you know, a veteran like yourself, fifth year on the tour now? Mm-hmm. So kind of tell us just a little bit of the youth movement that's even continued to grow on the tour since you've been there. Yeah, we were. Uh, I was playing with Kevin Naw back at Sony, and we were talking about that. He's... I think 38, 39, something like that. And he's been on tour for 20 years. He was, he got on tour when he was, I think, 18. And uh, we were talking about, because uh, he, he goes, you know, how many years have you been out here now? And I was like, you know, this is my fifth season. He was like, dang. He goes, uh, you know, when you were out, like, your rookie year, you're 25 years old. And he was like, you were probably young for your rookie then, huh? I'm like, I, ironically, yeah, there weren't a whole lot of guys that were younger than me out on tour. Uh, and then, it's crazy how only in a matter of five years you go from when I was a rookie, I was a young rookie to now you have basically the top five players in the world are probably cumulatively 25 years old kind of thing, you know? So it's just, it's crazy. Uh, the trans, the transition of the, the age of success in golfers nowadays. And, uh, I mean, it all comes down to one name, tiger. 
I mean, he changed he changed it all. And so, um, the the players that so uh, I've you know like Eugenio for example, like he is prepared, like he has the game to play on tour, and he's ready to play on tour, and that just is becoming so much more common now than what it's used to be. Used to be, it's like you you know you played college golf and then you kind of had to grind it for a few years, and then you know maybe go to nationwide, and then PJ so it, guys are now. <laughs> entering college and leaving college, you know, prepared for the PGA Tour, and it's just crazy. Now, one of those young guys, top five in the world, another Oklahoma State Cowboy, Victor Hovland. He's been on quite a, quite a run, three worldwide wins uh, over the last six months or so. What have you seen in kind of his game and really what's been a meteoric and fast rise to a top three player in the world? Yeah, uh, it was – I hate to say it like this, but it was so easy to see. I mean, whenever I play with him here at National and – uh, see him out on the road, dude, he is a stripe show. And so it was just a matter of time before he got some comfort, you know, and as he started to gain comfort here over the last year, uh, the results have, have just, like I said, skyrocketed. And and I think one thing that for, I don't know what the stats are, this just from seeing him, and it probably helps one of the rounds I saw him, he made everything, but <laughs> he, uh, he, his putting is, has definitely uh, improved, I think, and it looks like he's more comfortable with the putter in hand. And so, um, as we know, the, the putter is the great equalizer, and it's the difference between, you know, some guys like him where he's a stripe show. So he's a top 50 player in the world any given day, any given week for the next 20 years. And he just needs to make putts. And when he does, he's going to be pretty dang good. You know, talking about his short game for a second, I just thought of this question to ask you. You know, if, if he were to ask you to give him a couple tips on chipping, because obviously that's where he's kind of struggled a little bit, you know, especially at the players last week. I thought he had some good chances around, you know, 12 and 15 to really gain some ground coming down the stretch there. What would you kind of tell him to do, maybe technically or maybe to kind of get out of his head a little bit? I would tell him to do less. Don't Don't worry about chipping, dude. You don't need to be a great chipper. Like, the way he hits the ball and the way he puts it, like, I almost, I would say, spend less time thinking about because the last thing you want to do is for any of that to creep into any other parts of your game. And so uh, you just too often see guys that try to address a quote-unquote weakness and it they become a little consumed with it and it starts to bleed into other parts of their game. And so, you know, there's, there's something to be said about, you know, continue to get great at what you're great at and you know don't don't get too caught up with the stuff that you struggle with and you know he's got such a such a great action and and he's a, he's a good chipper it just doesn't it just doesn't probably look good sometimes but it's like we always talk about it's like the worst chipper on the PJ tour is 100 <laughs> right. times better than what Joe Blow thinks you know a good chipper is right. and so he he's you know had some struggles here or there but i also played with him in a round where he won a tournament and he hit three or four chip shots that were the difference between him winning and not winning a tournament. And it's what people don't talk about. And the, the yeah. people don't talk about when he is executing and doing things at a high level, you know, but that's just, that's the way it goes. But, you know, he's, man, he, he's a good chipper, and it's just a matter of time before he starts getting more confident with it. I mean, five of his last uh, six tournaments have been in the top nine. So being able to show with that chipping, his ball striking <laughs> is yeah. just that immaculate. Yeah, correct. You know, TG, just a second ago, you brought up Tiger and – Last Wednesday, we obviously his Hall of Fame speech was on there, and I thought it was so interesting. Probably the biggest thing I caught from it, well, maybe not the biggest thing, but one of them was that his daughter kind of spilled the beans on that he goes to, to Comic-Con dressed up as Batman. <laughs> so, you know, what what for TG, if you were giving your Hall of Fame speech to someone telling you, what would be 
like your version of the Batman Comic Con? What's kind of like your guilty obsession or however you phrase Golly. it? I just hope no one thinks like you know I drink too much wine or something. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. That's. I don't. I don't have any weird. I'm too normal. I guess. I don't know. I got. I got nothing. But I. We love dogs. Maybe someone. We got three dogs. Maybe people would be like, man, this weird dog guy or something. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm I a free dog guy. Yeah. So yeah. maybe not then. See, we're normal. Uh, but no, nah, no, that's that's a good question. I actually didn't. I didn't get to catch all the speech because I was in the middle of trying to figure out when we were going to play golf for the ne- those next couple of days. So I actually didn't catch that part of the speech. That's funny. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. So you're not going to be going to Comic Con dressed up as Batman? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Iron Man, maybe Captain I, America. Well, no. Ironic. Well, if I would go, I might go as Batman because ironically, two days the next day uh, after that speech Thursday, I went and saw Batman. So maybe there's something there. <laughs> Did you watch it with Max? Who was tweeting uh, about no, it? No, I didn't. I didn't. We were talking about going, but he uh, we he was in the end of the wave of his time of our. He was at the end of the wave of our wave, so I, I got done early, so I got to go before he did. So we're talking about Hovland. You've played some with Hovland. You know, these Oak Tree games are, are fairly legendary. You know, you get a lot of these PGA-level guys out here playing in these Oak Tree games. Just give us, obviously not too much, but some of the behind-the-scenes of those games, what takes place, some of the games y'all play, and, and who kind of gets in those usually. Yeah, I mean, you have a bunch of the, the members, guys out there, you know, they're there for the – the, the games every basically Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and then, you know, th- I think the thing that doesn't get talked about is actually after the game uh, is where the real game starts back in the locker room, some card games. And that's the one I've learned twice, only twice I've learned that I will never do those again because these, <laughs> these old men know how to play cards. <laughs> Speaking of money, TG, we're, we're getting down and dirty with these questions now. So Speaking of Saudi, it's a big talk on tour. So, obviously, have, all right. First question: Have you been approached by the Saudi league? Uh, I've, I've, I know some people who have talked to him. Yes, gotcha. Okay. Uh, so, in your opinion, after all of the stuff with Phil and everything that's happened. You know, what are the odds that it is as big as Greg Norman wants it to be? There's a schedule out now, too. Right. So we've got a schedule out, but still still no guys. So just kind of your your take or whatever you can yeah. share. Uh, it, uh, I've said this from the jump, and I will continue to say this. It's very interesting, the whole situation. Uh, every player agrees with this, that it's great for golf because it's going to make golf change and, and get better. Uh, I mean, it's it's good to have competition, uh, and the the tour is already progressing. Hence, a twenty million dollar purse last week, uh, and so the 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 tour is going to have to to progress. And there's talks now of some uh, the tour maybe adding some team format uh, tournaments uh, throughout the year. Uh, Would you like something like that? A team? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, and I think teamed uh, up with Max Home at the Zurich, obviously. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I think that back to like we don't play enough like golf i think is it's for golf fans like us like we're gonna tune in and we're gonna watch but we're not the demographic that golf needs to appeal to because we're gonna we're gonna be tuned in no matter what we need to have the demographic that only tunes in at the majors and you know the Ryder cup and the president's cup the the people that only watch when the big names and you know the big tournaments that don't watch you know the zurich or don't watch you know colonial or whatever we need to start getting those people to gravitate towards golf and to do so i think playing 
you know, this is just my opinion, playing 40 tournaments a year that are all the same thing and week after week after week and not getting a break from it, I, that's not growing the game of golf. If, and that's the, the phrase that uh, everyone keeps using, you know, growing the game of golf. I think to grow the game, we got to do things a little bit differently. And I always compare it to football. So football is king, right? Part of why it's king is because we are deprived of it for six months, right? And so you take something away from somebody that's going to make – it's human psychology 101. Like you take something from somebody, they're going to want it more, right? And so if if we were to kind of shake things up, um, you know, add maybe some team events – give an actual off season, a little bit of a break of golf so that, you know, you know, come, you know, September or whatever, you know, then we don't see a actual normal golf tournament until, you know, Hawaii again, it's going to get people vamped back up and ready to roll and kind of grow that intrigue and that interest, I think. So I I think uh, this whole, that's why I say it's interesting, this whole conversation, this whole topic, it's interesting uh, because I think, the tour is going to have to change and it's going to have to grow and adapt and become better. And I think that's just going to benefit everybody. Now, let me ask you this as a young guy on tour, not yourself maybe, but you know, the Brysons or the Hovlands or the Taylor Gooches of the world, you know, is it worth it to a young guy rising star on the PGA tour to take the PR hit and take the guaranteed money over on at the Saudi tour, have you heard anything from anybody like as far as where they're leaning towards? Like, is it worth the guaranteed two hundred million to take the PR hit that you're going to have if you go over there? Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, uh, when people talk, I, I I always bring this conversation up when t- when people talk about legacy. Legacy comes down to tournament wins and major wins, and I always like to bring up conversation. Uh, so there's a TV commentator for golf, uh, who has won a lot of majors. Do you know who it is? Nick Faldo. Nick Faldo. How many majors has he won? Six. Six. Three green jackets. And it's incredible. But when you see him, do you instantly think this guy is a legend? It's a good question. Um, probably not. Because by the way, he has... Technically, a better legacy than Rory McIlroy. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. probably not as much as some other guys comparable to him, and I, I don't really know why. It's a good point. And that's never the, thought of the, it the, the whole discussion of playing for legacy, and I'm not throwing shit at anybody. I just I think it's an interesting discussion because part of, I think, what legacy is is doing something for the love of it, right? And the people that... Uh, or the generations prior to right now, they, it wasn't golf, wasn't an outlet to go and make a lot of money. Like it is now it, people were really actually playing it because they loved it. They didn't care if they weren't being compensated at a high level. It 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 was a $20 million purse. Right. And so people were truly doing it for the love of the game where now people love the game, but there's there, it's a, it's, you know, it's a means to an end to an extent, right? right? I mean, it's still like the legacy I'm playing for uh, is the impact that I can make in my family's life and in people I care and love about and how I can impact others. I want to win as many majors as possible. But what's more important to me is my family, we just started a foundation. Like that's the that's the legacy I, I want. Um, and so... F- you know, in, a, in today's world, like you, 
to, to have, a, you know, to make an impact, you can't make an impact. Um, I shouldn't say you can't. Your ability to make an impact it usually is directly reflects your, your net worth, how much money you have, how much money you can help, uh, you know, inject into something and to, to make a difference in people's lives, right? And, and that's where, like I said, this whole legacy talk, it's so interesting because, you know, at the end of the day, someone like Nick Faldo, who has an incredible career, is a, is a legend and people watch him every week and don't even like say, think to themselves, oh, he's won six majors and three green jackets, right? And so it's so, just... So legacy's a bit subjective is what you're saying. It's so subjective. Right. And yeah, so it's, it's just an interesting, the whole thing's an interesting conversation. So back to... I think the the money thing is a big draw for guys because at the end of the day, guys nowadays that say they're playing for legacy, it's like, you know, what is legacy? And also, you know, the ability to go and make a bunch of money and guaranteed money, that's why this thing is drawing traction because, you know, until six months ago, I didn't have a guaranteed job for the next couple of years. Right. You know, and I have a family to feed. So I understand the draw and the intrigue and the interest of saying, dude, if I go and do this and I, I get guaranteed, you know, dollars, like it's the conversation. One of my best buddies is a baseball player and he signed a, you know, a, a really lucrative deal a couple of years back. And, um, another Carl Albert kid, JT. Yeah. And so he signed guaranteed, you know, in baseball is guaranteed money. And so we always talk about who's got the better gig, the baseball player, or the <laughs> golfer. I'm like, dude, you could go over for a month and your game checks are still showing up. <laughs> I go, if I, you know, in my world, if I go over for a month, it's cost me about 20 grand, you know, and I don't get any money out of it, you know? So it's right. just it, the, the, the guaranteed contract thing. It's, it's a huge intrigue. And that's why this has gotten so much attention and, and, and traction throughout this whole you know time. You know, TG, I want to ask you about your foundation, but I do want to stay on this because I think it's really important. Um, a few weeks ago at the Honda, there was the mandatory players meeting, and Jay Monahan came out and was talking about some things that like the tour is potentially trying to do to be better. Um, just for example, kind of like you mentioned with the offseason, thinking about maybe uh, top 50 in the world kind of events um, in the offseason to kind of get more big players like that. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that you're hearing from the tour, from players that, that the tour is trying or that the players want the tour to be better at? Yeah, kind of things that I touched on, you know, I think golf is a little bit washed out because there's so much golf. We don't ever get a break from it from a fan's perspective. You know, it's like it's easy to lose interest. You know, it's like March Madness. It's such a huge draw because it happens once a year, right? The majors are such a huge draw because they happen once a year. And it's like there's so many golf tournaments. It's, it's you know, it's a great thing because golf is in a great spot, but it just it needs to adapt, I think, and it, and it needs to – continue to try to figure out how we, we can draw more fans and I think that comes to you know kind of changing the schedule a little bit and adding some different variances like maybe a couple different team events or you know whatever it may be but I, a lot of the players you know are on board that think you know I think the you know the schedule if it was a little bit shorter and not as many tournaments whatever I think that would uh, you know is something that most players agree with would be better for the tour you know and better for for our schedule as well, you know, you know, uh, last fall, the last tournament at Sea Island was call it the end of November. You know, I had essentially a five weeks before the next tournament. Well, and your and schedule got moved up because you won. So correct. then you got to go out to Kapalua, right. which is a reward. Yeah. But it also shortens your off season. No, yeah, exactly. And so it's like, you know, for 
from a golfer's perspective too, we selfishly, you know, want a little bit shorter of a schedule just because as it sets right now, because there's so much opportunity, you know, we feel like you can't hardly take much time off because you're, you know, falling behind the rest of the guys in the FedEx cup and, and world ranking points and all that stuff. And so, you know, we've kind of feel like our hands forced to play a lot right now, uh, which like I said, is, is great to have the opportunity. Uh, but I think there's a, there's a better way to go about it and I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but I, I, I do think most guys would agree with, you know, the schedule being a little bit smaller would, it would just increase the quality because think about it. Like it was, I saw someone on Twitter make a big deal. Like, Oh my gosh, DJ's playing, you know, the Valspar this week. And it's like, that shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that, that it's a big deal that he's, you know, playing a tournament cause he's never played or, you know, whatever. It's like, you should have more of the best players in the world wanting to play more where right now it's most guys are looking, all right, which tournaments can I take off? You know? Um, and so if we can somehow as professional golf can flip that script from the player's perspective of how can we like form a schedule where guys are like, gosh, dang it. I, I just, I don't want to take this off. I don't want to take this off. I can't take this off or where now they're like, all right, which, where can I take a tournament off? Right. And if we can flip that, I think that's going to grow the, the intrigue and the quality of each tournament which again, when you have the best of the best in the fields, when, when DJ and Rory and Rom and, you know, Jason Day and Brooks Kepka, when those guys are playing, those are the, the, that's the draw. And when they are playing more often, that's just going to bring more, more eyes and more interest to each week. We were talking about team golf and you mentioned the point systems as well. You know, how much is the president's cup this year or the Ryder cup next year on the forefront of your mind? Yeah, I mean, no doubt it would be. It's a that, talk about another dream come true. Uh, especially this year, the Presidents Cup is at Quail Hollow, which I just I love that golf course, and so um, it, it would be super cool. And and especially Davis Love being captain, you know, I did just win his golf tournament that he was hosting. <laughs> so hopefully that helped me put put me on his radar a little bit. But no, nah, it, it would be a, a dream come true, and. Any kind of team format like that is just, I mean, it's what it's in a, in a game where we have to play, it's always a selfish, you know, your own thing uh, to be a part of a team is, man, it's, it's, it's for a kid who grew up playing sports, like you can't not get pumped up about that. So that would be, man, dream come true. And then the Ryder Cup is in Rome, which I love Italy. And so I would love to have <laughs> an excuse. Vino, That's right. Love to have a little excuse to go over there and have to play some golf. Absolutely. And then we have one fun question here from Dylan Miller, and he asks if you've been approached by either of the two video games coming out. Ooh, and and ooh, have you been – uh, and would you go to EA or would you go to 2K with Tiger? EA is with Augusta and 2K is with Tiger. Uh, I didn't – I didn't. so I've been approached. I don't know uh, which one approached me. Um, golly, what they, was they must not have left a big impact. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I say it was, it was EA, but um, – yeah, they they more or less just wanted like the rights to use me, right. and and so I was like, well, you got it. Like, I'm not just gonna just do this for free, dude. If you were gonna, <laughs> you know, th- there's the thing called the NIL in college. Now that's called just contracts and professional. Like, let's do. But no, it would be super cool to be a part of it. Uh, and and maybe maybe someday we'll make it happen. That'd be pretty cool. And then tell the people, T-Dub mentioned it, about your foundation. I know you're doing a tournament the day after uh, Southern Hills at the PGA on that Monday out at Tulsa Country Club. Tell the people about, first of all, the fundraiser and then what the foundation's for. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, my wife and I have uh, talked for a while about wanting to do a foundation and, uh, and just, it all came together last fall and we decided to, to go forward with it. And it just made so much sense, uh, you know, with the PJ championship being in Tulsa to do our first event the Monday after at Tulsa country club. And it's just, it's going to be a blast. And there's, uh, you know, going to be a bunch of pros that are going to come out and help support the event. And, uh, and yeah, so obviously with my wife and I having our first kid, you know, we have such a, you know, a newfound, uh, passion for kids. And so that, that's what, you know, we're going to be focusing on with the foundation. Uh, and there's a couple organizations that, uh, we haven't announced yet, but we're going to, uh, we're going to partner with that. Uh, the, the focal point is to, to, to help kids, you know, and, and that's in a bunch of different ways. And, um, you know, of course I want golf to be involved in, in our, you know, um, you know, in our support. And, and obviously we, are definitely going to be working with the OJGT, you know, Maury Rose, uh, was such, just so great to, to me and my family. And, and the OJGT is a reason why I am where I am. And, and so we're super excited to, uh, partner with them and we're going to do some stuff to help them out. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a fun ride and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. It's awesome stuff y'all are doing. So let's get you out of here on a fun one. We talked about, you've got three dogs. I've got three dogs. You brought a baby girl in. I'm bringing a baby girl in. How were the dogs when you brought her in? Because our smallest dog is about 75 pounds. So we're just, we're not worried. Yeah. We're very curious to see how the dogs are going to react to the baby. Hey, our smallest dog is about 60 pounds. So okay. we're on, we're similar, <laughs> similar kind of, you know, worries. Uh, but it's been great. They're the, they're the caretakers of that little, little human. So it, it's, I think you're going to be surprised to see how much they adore the uh, the girl and how they're going to be the you know the protectors. Dogs are the best. So we've got we've got two new dads with girls and three big dogs, and me and Sam don't have any kids, and we both have a small dog. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure what side we need to get on here. <laughs> so Colby and Ta- Colby and Taylor Gooch are exactly the same, other than the golf game, right? <laughs> right, Colby. I need my pops. <laughs> <laughs> I need my pops. Hey, Colby's down to two handicap now. He's getting up uh, there. I'm, my handicap's way too low. That's a problem. Hey, that might change here over the next. Year. I would imagine so. Yeah, <laughs> I think the problem is though you have to play rounds to actually get your handicap true, up. So true. if I can't play, it's going to stay too low. <laughs> yeah, but. true. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today and doing not only the radio show today but the podcast from when we started it a year ago. You've helped us more than anybody on the planet, helping us blow up on social media just through your interviews and your candid answers. So I couldn't thank you enough for everything that you've done for us at the 73rd hole and for myself and Colby and Taylor. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. Like I've told you all from the from the get go, I'm Oklahoma through and through and what you guys are doing for the state of Oklahoma and golf and sports in general. I I love it. So I'm excited to see you all continue to grow and uh, we'll always be happy to come on. That was Taylor Gooch joining us on the 73rd hole. Can't thank him enough for all of his time. We appreciate everybody listening. Back with more later in the week. Thanks for listening here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.